are sealing the airlock forever. We should have enough beans and electricity to last three to four more episodes. Tops. And now here are your hosts, who self-quarantined from each other long ago. Allison Goldberg and Jennifer Jamula. Hello, everybody. I'm Jen. I'm Allie. Welcome to Two Girls, One Podcast. Coming to you live from the apocalypse. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. It's true. What are you talking about? I haven't heard anything. We're here to brighten your day. Am I off script? Am I off script? Am I off script? (laughs) She's off script. Matt hasn't gone outside. He hasn't used the internet. He's just, he's like a little baby. Yeah, no, I'm just... uh... Reading literature in literature. books. Uh, what is go- what's going on? Oh I haven't heard. Oh my god! Anything. Are you reading the Bible? I've been reading the Bible, and it's it is still as good as it's ever been. Yeah, Riveting. yeah, totally. Well, it is Thursday, March nineteenth, and we are in the midst of Corona madness. Uh, so we just wanted to share the date with you because this will probably be published a few weeks down the line, and things are changing so much every day. Uh, but mentally, we are very much at Thursday, March nineteenth. <laughs> <laughs> Mentally and physically. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I, I, I interrupted your intro. Hit it. It's okay. So Allie and I are performers who use the internet as our script in our live comedy show blog logs. And that was a little bit ago. And from there, we made a web series called Two Girls, One Show, which you can check out on hoo ha And we met people behind internet posts that we've been performing for all the years in our live show. Uh, and then in this web series, we went on scripted adventures uh, as those people with those people. Last but not least, uh, so, this is not last. It's not truly the apocalypse. There are going to be more projects beyond this, guys, right? Uh, we have Two Girls, One Podcast, where we interview people behind internet communities and phenomena we find fascinating. Can you hear the anxiety in my voice? Our final project will be this show. This Goodbye is our forever. last episode. No, Jen, I I think we got to bring blogologs back because the work from home, coronavirus, memes, all those memes are insane right now. There are so People are making so much funny stuff about this, which I kind of love. I don't I don't want to be insensitive, but I also think like there's actually such positivity on the Internet or maybe those are just my circles. Wow. What are you seeing? I'm not seeing that. <laughs> oh, my God. I have to send it to you. I'm seeing there's a lot of so doom and glooms. Can stuff. you share like one amazing example? I would love to hear a meme. Um, well, this one isn't performable, but one that I love and it's big. Trevor Noah retweeted it. So it's not like I'm like sharing some discovery, but <laughs> this guy puts soap on the floor. So it's slippery and then makes a treadmill. Basically, it's, you have to see it. It's so good. People are doing so much funny shit. Someone created a sketch where basically there's like a corner. Uh, there's like it, you see you think there's like a drug deal going down, but uh-huh. it's for toilet paper. <laughs> I just think there's so much funny stuff happening on the internet right yep. now. Guys, Absolutely. I still am wondering if I'm missing something, but what, what, what's what been the big deal with this toilet paper run situation? Because Everyone I, bought it. Everyone. There's oh. no toilet paper even on Amazon. Why? I don't know. Apparently Why? only 4% of people have diarrhea. No, like uh, the, I looked at the symptom list and it's like 4% is diarrhea. Like most people don't have diarrhea. I was say like, do you shit your brains out with coronavirus? Like what? Yeah, I don't get it's it. It's not related to symptoms. It's like, oh, I'm going to be stuck inside for a year i need as i need no, to get the toilet are paper hoarding now. and it's overboard stop fucking yes. hoarding people also how much do you get how much do y'all poop out there like i mean or whatever like why would people you need... are big shitters yeah and like honestly you can use tissues you can use 
paper towels. So I much think you your hand. hand. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, come on. There you go. You got to make <laughs> so some many things. Actually, the bidet company Tushy's making a big push, which I think yeah. is really smart. Yeah. Definitely. I would get a bidet um, after this. Yeah, let's talk about some of the other benefits of coronavirus, shall we? Okay. Yes, let's. I have not worn a bra in about a week, <laughs> and I'm not gonna. You know, I'm going bra free for at least for you. a month. Okay. Same. Fairly Same. normal. Fairly normal. Yeah. Good. Nice work, Matt. Uh, no jeans. I'm realizing that I don't have nearly enough athleisure for the apocalypse. So <laughs> there's that. Also, you know what? Um, people, they sometimes ask me how I feel about a sporting thing that happened. And um, now there are no sports. So I'm keeping up with conversations a lot better. I think there's a lot of hidden benefits, you know? This is a tight five. If you, if, if you ever get back out to a stand-up stage, right. uh, I will like and subscribe. Thank you. But liking and subscribing would be online, which I could do. And some people mm -hmm. have asked about virtual sets, and I can't decide if that would be awkward or not. You're liking this? You're liking this? So, uh, interestingly, I was invited the other night to a virtual, a secret virtual stand-up comedy show oh, fun. Uh, by a, mu a mutual friend of yours and mine, Jen. Uh, and I can tell you about that off air. Uh, it, this will probably go public soon, but it was weird but also awesome because these are like legit professional comedians who have been on like late night shows and whatever and like awesome hilarious people who understood that they were going to get no audible laughs could not see the chat during the live stream i learned later and still fucking killed it because they're so amazing like i was sitting at my computer laughing out loud at how amazingly talented these people were and how crazy fucking awkward the whole thing was. Wow. And I don't know. And it was great. I, I can't okay. I, I can't describe it. I have more questions that are maybe for off air because I've been thinking about producing something like this and I have yeah. access to very high level comedians. But I was like, is it so fucking awkward to not um, hear laughs? I have ideas on how to make it less awkward. So we, okay, we let's, shall all let's talk after because I've been thinking Indeed. about that a lot. And then it's like, at what point should you just be watching a Netflix special? Like, I don't know. Like, was there like, I'm curious if the what the live element added for yes, you. Yes, it was it. There's something about live and I'm not as a video producer. I'm not bullish on live Internet video. I think most of it's crap, but there was something really cool and fun about a bunch of like pretty well-known stand-up comedians sitting on their bedroom floor being like, uh, I guess I'll do my set now. Isn't this fucking weird and crazy? And it was just cool. And, and it was cool to be in the chat room with other people. Like uh, we, we were all sharing like uh, applause emojis and laughter emojis where we normally would be laughing. It's just, it was surreal, but also cool. Okay. Let's talk more after because I've been thinking about this and I want to, I want to hear more about it, but we won't. Amen. Bore the listeners wanna, or spoil it for them. Yeah. Quickly mm -hmm. mention that a friend of mine and Ali's mentioned to us yesterday that I think it's called Netflix Party, but now there's something on Netflix where you can like watch it with a group of people who you don't know, choose a show, somebody chooses the show, and then you can all correspond via chat together while it's happening, which mm -hmm. sounds super fun. So love it. Yeah, this could give birth maybe to some cool new entertainment. Um yeah. but I also feel like today's guest could potentially have a lot to say about what's happening right now. Um, so we're talking to the most connected man in the world. Uh, he refers to himself as a mindful cyborg. Um, 
His name is Chris Dancy, and he is an author, a keynote speaker, um, and he wrote this book called Don't Unplug, How Technology Saved My Life and Can Save Yours Too. So I would love to know how technology can save our lives. Um, yeah. <laughs> Do tell. Uh, we, could, we could use it. <laughs> All right. Well... Should we dive in? Do you have trivia for us? I do have some trivia. Today's show is about, as Jen said, the most connected man. Uh, Chris's story is unbelievable. The the way he transformed himself with tech is really inspiring and cool. Uh, I'm excited to, to chat with him later. But today's trivia is not about the most connected man. It is about the very first internet connection. That is, the first time in history that two computers were linked together over a network. On October 29th, 1969, a computer at UCLA and another at Stanford University established a link on the ARPANET. We've talked a little bit about this early internet history here and there on the show. Uh, This was originally funded by the U.S. Department of Defense and used primarily for research projects at universities and laboratories. The first message ever sent over a network was transmitted at 10.30 p.m., on October 29th, 1969, what did the proto-internet's first message say? Perhaps the first chat, the first text of all time. What did it say? I have three choices for you. Just quickly, uh, that was the summer of love. So I'm going to put in Allie's brain that maybe it was something a little spicy, a little lovey-dovey. Mm. Let's I mean, I was definitely it. thinking it was just boob. You know what I mean? Like, it's <laughs> right, going to be something... Right. Like yeah. the, like on the calculator, like the numbers yeah, that spell exactly. both. Yeah, I should I should have included that. Okay, here are your choices for the very first text so I guess transmission <laughs> over the over okay. a network. A, hello world. B, login, the word login, or C, zero one zero one zero one zero one zero one zero 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 one one zero one. Zero zero one one zero 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 one zero 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 one, which, as I'm, I'm sure language. you know, is the binary code for the letters UCLA. Oh, okay. I'm hoping that it's C, but I'm also really hoping that Matt made C up. Me too. So, so one of us pick C, one of us pick boob not a choice um (laughs) (laughs) you're writing in an answer Uh, i think i'll go i feel like hello world is something you see online all the time and maybe they're referencing that referencing that uh original message so that's smart jams that's smart because yeah whenever you like uh start a website or blog or whatever that's like the default first post yes yes okay i'll go with okay okay well then i'll do c jen goes with a hello world and Allie goes with C, 0101010100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100100
Two Girls, One Podcast is made possible by you, the listeners. And if you love the internet as much as we love talking about it, consider supporting us on Patreon. A lot of work and time go into research, booking guests, recording, editing, and distributing the show. Contributing even one or two dollars per episode is huge in offsetting our production costs. If you'd like to support the show, head over to patreon.com slash 2G1P. We'll keep making the show no matter what. But your support allows us to make it even better. Thank you so much for listening. attractive 30-ish year old professional female looking for an attractive 30 to 40 year old professional male to be my COVID-19 boyfriend two weeks max for whenever we're forced to self-quarantine. In addition, I can offer you a sunny apartment with south-facing windows, strong Wi-Fi, a big desk, and extra monitors. I've been working from home for years. Nespresso's and Starbucks iced coffee, gourmet cooking, a month's supply of Trader Joe's frozen tamales, and who chocolate bars just in case. Purell and lots of toilet paper. No masks, we won't be needing those. <laughs> Hulu, HBO Go, Amazon Prime, Showtime, Monopoly, Jenga, Backgammon, Battleship. Please respond with your pick and credentials, six foot minimum. Bonus points if you have Netflix. My ex-boyfriend just changed his password. I think we all know I posted that, right? (laughs) I was going to say, that sounded exactly (laughs) like you. (laughs) Uh, We might need to talk. You really want to quarantine yourself with some guy you don't know? Yeah, I do. Now, um, if I had written it, it would have been in L.A., but the rest would have been exactly the same. I mean, it's better than Tinder. It's, I mean, it's six of one, really. I was actually, so I deleted the apps. I was actually thinking of getting back on because now I finally have an excuse not to actually go on the date. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like men, well, I could do 30 minute video chats and it won't be weird as because like what I hate about online dating so much is like. I get ready, I commute, then you're like stuck there for 60, 90 minutes. Boom, video chats. I got to sign back up. Mm-hmm. That's a, such a good point. Please do and Thank please report you. back. Yeah. Yeah, I've just been lazy. I don't feel like setting it up again. But yeah, I got to do it. Okay, trivia. Trivia. Here we go. Today's trivia was about the very first two computers that were ever connected, forming the beginning of the ARPANET in 1969. What was the first message? What was the first piece of text ever sent across a computer network? Your choices were A, hello world, B, the word login, or C, 01010101010100. The binary code for UCLA, where the original message was sent. Jen, you went with Hello World. And Allie, you went with C, the binary code. Sticking with the answers? Yes. Yeah, I think Jen might be right, but I'm sticking with mine. I like. I really liked her reasoning. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you, Miss Allie. <laughs> the correct answer is... Don't be B, don't be B, don't be B. B. No. Login. All right. I know Matt is now so choosing lame. all Bs because we told him he always chose A's before. So now we know. <laughs> damn it. God you damn got it. me.
Yeah. <laughs> All I'm right, glad so you made in. up the zero zero one situation though. Yeah. Yeah. You're welcome. Um How boring, your, your logic is sound and everything you thought through is right. Uh Hello World, I think it does appear as like sort of like the first blog post and all that, but it is uh traditionally the first line of code, or excuse me, the first thing that a computer will spit out when it's running a program, meaning you write a program. And it's a tradition in programming where the first thing that the program does is display the words hello world. So that would have been a, a good guess. Uh, the first piece of text sent over the proto internet was the word login. However, only the L and the O were transmitted before the system completely crashed. So even in 1969, in the beginning, computers were fucking stupid. About an hour after the crash, the system recovered and the full message login was sent. And I presume that was some prompt to the other computer to log in or begin the conversation. Who knows? Uh, 1969. I thought that was pretty, it's pretty cool. We don't think about technology like that way back when, although I guess we were landing on the moon. So shit was, shit was cool in 69. Shit was pretty real. Yeah. All right, folks, it is that time. We are so excited uh, that it is time for our interview and we have our guest with us. Please welcome the mindful cyborg, Chris Dancy. Welcome, Chris. Hello, hello, hello. Hello. How are you doing? Well, gosh, I, I guess uh, I have enough toilet paper and bread, so I guess I've got no problems. Uh, <laughs> we were talking no, about hoarding. Yeah. Not. I was hoarding in January. I'm what you would call a prepper, so I'm not one of these people who waited. Oh wow! So what are you going to do with all that bread? I'm only kidding. I, I don't. I don't okay. have any toilet paper. I, I was literally. I, I mean, I have enough, but I'm not. Yeah, like I hope you have else. some. Yeah, yeah, I have some, but I have dogs if things get crazy. So. Uh, oh wow! Yeah. Ooh, that's kinky. So, yeah, that was ugly. I'm really into this idea of a coronavirus hipster. Of like, I've yeah. been preparing since January. Okay. <laughs> Well, there, there are digital preppers in the in the community, right? There are cyborgs who are digital preppers, and I think for me, I've always been kind of focused on that preparedness. But seriously, I was in Spain in January and saw the videos from China, and everyone told me I was crazy, and I got a bunch of masks and N95s then. And then in in February, I was just like, I don't think I should be traveling, and everyone's like, No, you should. So I, I just canceled all my trips and flew home. You just mentioned digital preppers. What makes someone a digital prepper versus just an IRL and buying tuna fish? Yep. So I think the digital prepping community, I mean, a lot of people are familiar with the Wayback Machine, which is this uh, archive of the internet. Um, a lot of people will use it and they want to blackmail someone or you know, find something that's been deleted off the internet. But if you consider that every web page is changed every 20 to 30 days, like on the web. So digital prepping is this concept of you're worthy of your archive. You know, a lot of people now will use ephemeral media or they'll just like do bank uh, Facebook bankruptcy. But a lot of us like me, I mean, I'm 52 and my entire life I've saved everything. Now there's things I wish I didn't have, but I, I think in the long run, you'll wish you had a lot of what you threw away. Ah, okay. So it's not, it's not coronavirus specific. It's just, it's not coronavirus specific. For if, the, if, if the internet goes down, I don't know. No. So there was that for a while. That's kind of how I got started. But for me, it's more of, you don't know what, what you've created and put online that's valuable until you need it again. I mean, we've all looked for that file or that email or that photo. And it's strange how, if you're looking for a photo, you know, that's in your phone, you can almost scroll a hundred years at once without even like, boom, and just hit it. But like mm -hmm. a file you will never find. 
So it's this relationship we have with kind of our media that I really, I think, prepping on. There's a couple good subreddits for digital preppers. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. Maybe that's another whole community to look at. So, all right, let, let's dive into today. Yeah, Jen? Well, yeah. So we do want to hear about how you got started. We're going to get into all of that. But um, while we're still on coronavirus, we know that you're in Houston and you've been working on something in particular. So do you want to tell us about that a little bit? Sure. Um, I was heading home from Disney because we had our spring break. My spouse is a teacher and Disney closed. So I was on my way home and I thought to myself, I live in a neighborhood of 800 people. Most of these people are retired. Some of these people are medical professionals. And I bet within two weeks, we're going to be locked in and probably locked in for a month or so. And I thought to myself, what happens if the healthcare system starts suffering? Or what happens if the stores start running low? So my community is one of those communities that lives on next door. Um, I've never been on next door. This is the first time over the past two years I've lived on it or signed up to it. And I don't know what type of reputation it has. I know you guys have talked about it, but for me, it seems kind of cringy at times, just just the utter surveillance That's of it. That's what we covered. Okay, good. So we're <laughs> on the same page. We're, yeah, but that there. being said, I also didn't want to diminish people's relationship. You know, I feel like look out the window if you want to know your neighbors. Don't you know? Don't screenshot them. So uh, it pisses me off. But long story short, I thought to myself, you know, these people are going to start needing things, and it's already happened. So I thought to myself, how do I create something real quick? So I spent about two hours in the car while my 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 husband was driving. And I used a, a program called Airtable, and I used Nextdoor, and I created a private group on Nextdoor for my neighborhood. So, you know, Nextdoor is geofence, so I knew I was other people wouldn't see this. And in that private group, I created two forms, one form that was help me, and one form was I want to help. And what happens is our neighbors then have signed up to either form, and then in the background, it matches people with skills. So I can drive someone, I, I know medical care, I can do handiwork. There's a bunch of skills we defined or someone with supplies. I have uh, cleanser. I have, uh, you know, food. I have this or equipment. I have oxygen. So we've got five people in my neighborhood who have oxygen. Oxygen is an approved who recommended uh, therapeutic for the pneumonia. Now, obviously, we don't have ventilators, uh, but we have a lot of we ended up having a lot of medical equipment. So as people offered themselves and what they had in their homes, People started coming online saying, I need this and I'm afraid to go out. And we started marrying those two people together. So that was last week. This week, I've been approached by the local government, uh, Nextdoor themselves, and Airtable that, that's powering the back end to roll this out to communities all over the United States. So I know they've rolled it out in New Zealand now. Um, wow. in London. So it's very small. So again, just think of your little neighborhoods. No, and this is incredible. Could, yeah. And if you could reach everyone and things get ugly or you're afraid, why wouldn't you want to know what your neighbors have with skills, equipment or supplies? And that's, I, that's what we enabled. I want this now because I was thinking the other day I was driving and I saw this man who had to be over 80 hunched over carrying mm. this little grocery bag. And I want to drop off groceries on old people's doorsteps because like there's already a recommendation if you're over 65 not to go outside and he's clearly i don't know it was so sad so i need for three now. months for three yeah. months yeah. yeah just a note for listeners uh we will be linking to that resource in the uh description of the show and if by the time this publishes the uh technology and the network has evolved we will link to the most updated version or uh, civic version that applies to you so check it out there 
Yeah. Um, well, let, let's take it back. Uh, let's take it back to where this all started. How did you become a who? Who? Who are you? <laughs> this man who created this <laughs> oh, amazing shit. thing that you just told us about. I know. And you know, I, we know a lot about you exists on the internet, but we would love to hear in your own words. Like, you are the most connected yeah. man. You're, you yeah. know, the mindful cyborg. So why? How did this get started? How did it get started? So. 2008, I weighed 320 pounds. I smoked two packs of cigarettes a day. I drank 36 cans of Diet Coke a day. Where are my Diet Coke people? Woo, woo. So, <laughs> I mean, I just loved like everything bad. I'd been through a couple of rehabs. I'd been in jail for DUIs. You know, I couldn't even go in Canada because of DUI. But uh, I, they've been a lot wrong. That being said, in 2008, I also was outrageously successful. So my company companies were paying me a lot of money, and I'd been in IT my whole life, and one of these two things was not like the other. And what I found was you can be a real, real pile of shit and still be successful if people need you to be successful as a pile of shit. <laughs> right? Wow. So we don't care how bad you beat your body up, but keep performing for us. Mm-hmm. And this kind of one day I woke up and thought, I'm not, you know, I was 40. So I'm not going to make it. You know, I'm just, you know, I'm in and out of the hospital for chest pains, all other kind of stuff. So I went ahead and was sitting at my computer one day and I went to go look for something. I think it was on MySpace. I can't remember right off top hand, which was the first system. And I couldn't find it. You know, we all looked for a file or an email we couldn't find. And then I went to look at Google and I thought, oh, wait, wait, wait. I remember I searched for it. And I looked at my Google history. And it's the first time I looked at my history in a couple of years at that point, because I never look at my Google history. Um, and my gosh, my Google history looked like a diary of my secret desires. And I thought, thought to myself, wait a minute, why don't I have this available to me all the time? So I started using RSS feeds and this thing called Yahoo Pipes and a bunch of other just crazy early, late 2000s technology to pipe in anything I did on the internet got copied to a connected Google calendar. So I ended up with one calendar in the beginning just for social media. So anything I did, anything put on social media posts got written to the calendar. But then when people responded, that got written to the calendar. And then it went from social media to entertainment. If I was listening to music, watching television, all these things, low friction got collected. And suddenly over like a three or four month period, these patterns started emerging. Like literally the people I was connected to on Facebook only responded if I was face down on a pile of cocaine, did I get any comments? Like I'm going to not smoke today. No one mentioned it. This is long before like showboating your health online was a thing. And then everyone got behind you for five minutes while you discovered your Instagram values, right? Back then it was just like, we need you to be the clown. And simple things like if I had spent a lot of time binge watching, I was binge watching uh, Lost at that time and something called The Tudors. And like the next day, every time I binge watched, the next day I did nothing and I ate horrible, right? So I started understanding these outrageously huge patterns because I was viewing them on my Google calendar as, as, as if they were appointments. Well, slowly it got to be, you know, hundreds, tens became hundreds, became thousands of entries on the calendar. Everything from, like I said, social to entertainment, but then purchasing and then location and then environmental factors and then biological health. And then every email I sent, every email I received, anytime, I, literally anytime I did anything, I did it normally like we all do. I wasn't sitting around double working, but a copy of it got sent to the calendar. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, Totally. So what was kind of cool was by 2010, I could start searching my calendar, like for, okay, is this a pattern? And that was just mind blowing. Cause then it taught me, okay, I'm going to color code all of these behavior attributes and align them to 
Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? So how much of my digital time is literally helping feed me versus how much of my digital time is about making myself look cooler than I really am? God, I feel like those stats would frighten all of us. <laughs> it did. This is like early screen time, right? So it was yeah. it was mind-blowing. And I just slowly started adjusting, right? I just started creating an attention budget. You know, if I was going to be online, so much of my attention had to be had to be focused on things to help me make myself, make my world better, make myself better. You know, the first thing I did was I had to get rid of a lot of friends. And as I started changing and losing weight and coming off of, I had been on antidepressants my whole life, 17 to 40 at that point. I'd been on benzodiazepines from, from 20 to 40 at that point. So between 40 and 45, I lost over 100 pounds, came off all the drugs, quit smoking, stopped drinking copious amounts of Diet Coke, started to meditate. I mean, literally, I had no friends by the end of it. And it wasn't that I kicked some of them out, but people, again, I can't mention this enough. People need you to be unhealthy. And when you're connected to a bunch of people and systems, they only act like you do. I mean, we've all loaned our login for Spotify or Netflix to someone else. And like one hour, God forbid you search for a video that's not, that's unsavory. I mean, YouTube's going to haunt you with that nightmare and nightmares like it forever. So I, I just think it's really important to use our digital Groundhog Day shadows t- for something more than advertising. And, and that's really how, and then by, you know, most connected, where did that come from? 2014, the Wall Street Journal, after hearing the BBC, the BBC called me the world's most surveilled or some bullshit like that. And then uh, the Wall Street Journal messed it up and didn't say surveilled, they said connected. And then, you uh, know, boom. Interesting. I, I had nothing to do with it. Well, you know, saying that you lost a lot of people in your life, that a lot of people just kind of went away. Uh, I assume you also gained some people as well. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, the hard part is making those two tribes hang out together. Right. Right. Because now here I am 10 years later. Like I, I had to learn that, like, OK, I have to relax the diet a bit because you can't have friends if you eat healthy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you can't. I just don't know why. Well, we're, why I, are I we found lying? the soundbite. I found it. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's yeah. so true. Unless you have the same diet, because that's such a way to socialize. But together, do you want right? to hang out with those people? Not really. <laughs> there you go. I mean, there is I mean, a few... going to a vegan restaurant. That's I'll be what hungry I'm after. Yeah, I met yeah. a few vegans. They're terrible people. Guys, uh, <laughs> I'm not a vegan. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, I know. I wouldn't be I friends with you. Love and respect. <laughs> I went to a Buddhist retreat and I was, I wasn't a vegan before I went, but when I left, I was like, oh, I, I can do this. Yeah. So uh, it was fun. So yeah, so then like my whole world blew up in 2014, ended up on the cover of Business Week, uh, you know, their global tech issue. And I couldn't even maintain a regular job after that because the other thing is everybody, you know, wants kind of a level of attention online. But I think once you get a level of attention online and you get a level of attention in kind of old world media, you can't go back because no one wants to hire you because you become more than that they can thing. handle. Uh-huh. Yep. Yep. So I literally had to write a book. I literally had to do two Netflix for specials, one called Darknet. It was on Showtime first. Now it's on, on Netflix. And the second right, one was- Right, I'm streaming uh, a lot during the coronavirus. I'll check it out. Right? <laughs> oh, God, you'll see how depressed I was during that episode. Oh, but no. even though I was all happy. Well, the problem was that by that, by the time I filmed that episode in 2015, everything had gone. I was living in a million dollar house. I was spending all this money. I was thin. I was dating hot men. It was amazing. <laughs> nice. But I felt like I had disappeared, like the yeah. essence of that. Even though that person wasn't healthy, there was something I loved about that person. Yeah. So have you reconciled those two people at this point? Yes. 
So by 2016, I met someone. And again, I was paying for the professional version of Grindr, which allows you access to advanced search filters. So I created an, an outrageous search uh, set, set of search filters for the perfect man, because I had literally quantified even porn at that point, right? Like, what gets you there quickly? Because um, sometimes you only have five minutes, so you got to do what you got to do, right? It's true. So it's like it's true. We all yeah. we all empathize with that. Yeah. You've got the ten minute filter and the five minute filter, right? We all. Know. For so. me, it's just a speed setting, but yeah, I hear you. Exactly. Well, there you go. I never thought about that. So, um, so yeah. So, and then I, I would always meet people when I left where I lived, but I never found anyone where I lived. But what happened was someone came to visit for a family party and then my filter went off and I didn't say hi or anything on the app. I literally just sent a, a picture of the screen settings. And right away I got back this message. I have to meet you. Cause you know, I didn't say, you know, it was, the, I think it was the lack of an introduction of the fact that this person was just a search. You know, it wasn't someone who was attractive and close. They were attributes. And it turned out that he was a, a school teacher and, and literally every checkbox. And we met on July 3rd, 2016 we hugged for the first time on a parking lot and fireworks went off on the day before uh, New Year's, right? So we're like, this is crazy. And we ended up getting married at Disneyland two years later. Oh, man. We've spoken to a lot of guests who just like hacked their dating profiles. And I feel like I got to do that. Ugh. Yeah. The best advice I ever thought about dating profiles was have your best friend do yours. The picture, the bio, everything. All right, Don't Jen, you ready? Mm. I'm ready. Mm. Just, no. I'll, I'll do it. Why We're stuck inside anyway. You know, <laughs> yeah. I think you might. You know what? Make it with Adam. Oh, my God. That would be so great. Yeah, he and I can do it together. All right. I'm on it. Uh, okay. 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 Well, we'll, we'll put, a, put a pin in it. All right. We got so many things to discuss. I got to talk to Matt about that comedy show, Jen, about the profile. Okay. So you were tracking everything in Google Calendar, essentially, and tracking patterns. Um, but from there... Uh, how did you get into wearables and all the other things that you're doing? So, yeah, so by, so you, you think of it, uh, the first phase from 2008 to 2012 as quantified self. You can think of 2012 to 2015 as biohacking. So it's a, it's an escalation, right? Uh, these kind of tribes all overlap. You can't really be a biohacker until you've done quantified self. And you really can't be a transhumanist until you've done biohacking and you can't be a mindful cyborg until you've done all of it. Um, but for me, the wearables really became super important between 2010 and 2011. As the behaviors that supported and the people that supported a lot of the bad habits went away, I could focus on it. But the problem was I'd spent my whole life trying to have better behaviors or not better people to support those behaviors. So the wearables literally allowed me to take it to the next level. So, you know, one of the first ones was this... This this armband, I can't remember the name of it now. I'm so sorry. Um, but it did galvanic scan response and motion and everything else like that. And it was pre-Fitbit and you didn't see it step on your sleeve. And that was super, super helpful. So I didn't really get into the testing, you know, the microbiomes, the DNA, the uh, blood sugar, you know, heart rhythms, uh, mind, all that other stuff until probably 2012, 2013. Um, and even in that, I hadn't really considered it to be biohacking or anything transformational just because I was a geek. This was really no different than anything else you would do with any piece of tech. You know, you use it, you hack it, you make it yours and you make yourself or you make something better. To me, in hindsight, it seems like a really simple journey. Obviously, at the time, it wasn't because not only was I trying to program all this and wear all this, but I was also trying to make sense of all of this. How many 
different things are you tracking right now and or how many different programs and devices are you using? I'm just trying to like get a number for our listeners on what's happening right. at any given moment. Yeah, I'm on any given day. I have 1200 data points going to a repository every second of the day. Got it. What happens during a blackout? <laughs> <laughs> I actually have, when I went to Buddhist retreat in 2015, I had a hole. And then when I got married and went on my honeymoon, I had a hole. So you, you survive without it? Absolutely. It, it doesn't. Do you go into withdrawal? No, there was a time where I would say that I, I, I pretty much was dependent on what I would call a software exoskeleton. Like, like you, a lot of people are dependent on a software exoskeleton. They just call it Facebook or they just call it, you know, my fitness pal or something. Again, I mean, I didn't do anything that radically different. I did a lot of it. I did it really well. I organized it, but I can tell you right now, you two or you three are just as connected as I am. You literally are just not benefiting from it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I see what you mean. Like we're all throwing out the data and letting someone else use it. Exactly. Yeah. Well, even just using the typical, like... We're all stuck at home. And now there are stories breaking of like, you know, government saying, hey, Netflix and YouTube, you got to slow it down so we don't break the fucking Internet. Mm -hmm. If the Internet, as we know it, goes down or becomes limited or uh, like, you know, there are quotas or something like our exoskeletons are going to be compromised big time. And we're not even half nearly as advanced as, as you're using this stuff. You know, you hit on something so important because... And I don't want to make light of this. You know, I'm old. I'm not old, but like I'm older, right? If you're in your 20s or 30s, you you pretty much have been raised on this, right? But if you're in your 10s or teens, you know, we're going to break people. And I think we are breaking people already because we spent, a, you know, four years telling people their phones were toxic and looking at a screen would kill them. And we now are telling people, oh, by the way, look at your phone and use your screens. So, you know, we have really got to be real careful on this, you know, because people used to say to me all the time, you know, oh, are you addicted to your technology? No. You know, would you say that to someone wearing a glucose monitor, right? I'm trying to figure out what, how, how I function, right? And I don't think someone staring at their screen makes them less of a person. You know, if someone has a problem that I'm looking at my screen, they have the attention problem. They need it, right? And I, you, we just don't need people in our lives dictating our relationships with ourselves. And you can't say that you, your phone isn't a relationship with yourself at this point. Absolutely. Um, Chris, what are some of the different categories of tracking uh, since you're more in touch with them than we are? So we know fitness, sleep, health, memory, maybe, but uh, what are, what are some others? Apple did a really good job of kind of breaking them down at, at one level. So there's two main levels of tracking, and this is just me. There's behavioral and there's biological. So if you think about something like an iPhone, behavioral would be screen time. Biological would be health. Biological then is split down in Apple world by four segments. Those would be mindfulness, nutrition, sleep, and activity. The behavioral is actually broken down into much more than just screen time because you could go under that and you've got frequent locations and things like that. You could throw all of that away. And what I always tell people is if you really want to understand kind of the tracking world, you need to understand the periodic table of data. And that table is really simple. It's just six layers. At a base layer, we all experience time. At a layer above that, we all experience place. If you're experiencing time and there's no place, you're dead, right? 
above place you have activity, right? So are you sitting, walking, standing, driving, etc.? You can't be sometime, someplace, and not have one of those things. Again, you'd be dead, right? Above activity, right, you have behavioral. Are you listening to music? Are you in a scheduled meeting like we are now? Are you watching television, right? So you have to be sometime, somewhere, sitting, walking, driving, doing some activity, doing something. On top of that, you got the next to last layer, biological, right? So you're doing, uh, you're feeling some way, you know, all of the different biological functions. And then on top of that, you have environmental. From the biological, then splinter, and well, the biological behavior then splinters out into two uh, or, or three kind of weighted areas. The first being soft data, things that you create because you know they're going to be created, like a Facebook post. Hard data, things that are created because you're living, blood pressure, etc. Sleep stats. And then core data, things that are created because of how you lived, genetics, biomes, etc. Does this make sense? Am I going too deep? No, this is both. Both. Yeah, exactly. Okay, sense. Also, we could do a little more research, but yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. I mean, I, I help out companies all over the place doing this, and I just, yeah, I, yeah, I just yeah. wish people would stop acting like it's a black art. Like, you know, right. this is not hard. We're just, we just don't talk about it. Yeah. Right. One of the things I do is I teach at um, uh, Dartmouth University. I teach doctors to look at phones because I do something called phone palmistry on the side where I read people's screens and I tell them about their lives without knowing them. Just buy the apps on their home. It's so much fun. But there, I I teach docs to do this because a lot of times, if you have access to someone's phone, you can really tell who they are and how they live. I mean, it's just a couple of different places you need to go. Easiest place to go. Like I always tell, especially folks this, if you ever think about dating someone, skip the online profile and tell them to send you the home screen. You'll know right away (laughs) if you want to date someone from their home screen, right? If you really, really want to take it to the next level and go steady, ask them to send you a screenshot of their battery usage screen. Which apps are they spending their time in? And if you think you want to get engaged, you have to see their frequently used emojis. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Hopefully you already know those, but maybe not. (laughs) Well, you'd be surprised because a lot of times, because of the the text context, because of it, it, it's always doing the type ahead. So even words you don't use emojis for will show up in your frequently used because they're words you could have used emojis for. Ah, interesting. Uh. Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Depression's what? really easy to depression's yeah. really easy to spot on a frequently used emoji. <laughs> wow. Is it what it's a lot of words like sadness? I'm not gonna say it's a it's a lot of weather icons. Interesting. Okay. Uh, okay. That's usually a lot of feeling words, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um well, speaking of, since I know this got you out of depression, can you list for us just kind of simply all the different health benefits you think people can gain? So you said you lost in one of the articles I read, you, you lost 100 pounds. You've learned to meditate through your technology. Um, I'm biased. I'm sure sleep is a is an issue. Um, so can you list the benefits that you think people can gain from starting to monitor these things? I think the first one is regardless of how old you are, there, it's never a bad time to start to understand what you value. And I think technology gives you a really clear picture of what you value. And that's why I always say, look at someone's home screen, because you'll know right away what someone values. Now, there are those people, I'm not going to ask you guys, but there are those people who live on the second screen, and the first screen's the default icons. And I won't go into what that means, but uh, I think the first benefit is that. Second, if you get beyond that and you actually want to start tracking or changing yourself, there really is nothing in your life that can't be trained or or, or, trained change through tracking. And, and if it's just something very minor, like you want to become more active or you want to sleep better, 
you know, there are things you can track, even if you don't want to track it on your body. If you want to sleep better, just putting a sensor in your bedroom that monitors sound, light, and temperature, and humidity, and pressure will tell you a lot about what nights give you what type of sleep, even, you know, subjectively, because you have felt good last night. What, what was it like? So I always think, you know, there's a lot more you can do with it. But once you get beyond the tracking, because I think at the end of the day, some people go too far with tracking. That probably sounds ironic coming from me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> at the end of the day, uh, you know, I think it's more important. You know, I've got three kind of takeaways I always give people at the end of my talks. The first one is you don't get better by counting steps. You get better by taking them. The second one is you don't Ooh, download apps. cute. Right. The second one is you don't <laughs> download apps. You download habits. Mm. Every app is a habit. We just... You know, front. You know, Facebook's a friendship habit. Oh, I mean, this it's is good. Really I see why people stuff. hire you. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and the last one is probably the most important one. That's the one most people don't get, and that's we have to stop valuing our schedules and start scheduling our values. And I think. Oh shit! These are catchy as fuck. Right. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah. I like them. Yeah. Mm. Well, organizers say you're so fucking tweetable. They don't say the fucking part. But, um, <laughs> I was just thinking that. Yeah. But like, even the last one's super important because even if you just take time to stop using your reminders on your phone for bills and bullshit and you start using them to remind yourself just to be kind of in the moment or just like I have geofences using reminders around the grocery stores and stuff because I have this horrible habit of ignoring people waiting on me. What do you mean? What I found like between 2015 and 2018 was it became easier just to treat people transactionally because you already know what you want because if you go someplace a lot. So I would just, I wasn't engaged with people and I was finding myself more reliant on even like ordering head for food or ordering head for things. So I started creating the same geofences that used to remind me when I'd go to the bar that I was going to get in trouble. But now when I go to the grocery store, I'd be like, don't forget that the, your, your favorite cashier's name is Emma. Oh, cute. When I ordered ahead for food, I'd always put in the special instructions. I'm not sure who's making this right now, but I want you to know I appreciate you. Little crazy ways to start to like really insert what you value back into it. So somewhere between making sure you get off your ass to walk and, and you know, being kind of aware that you could treat people better is this whole spectrum of, I think, biohacking and quantified self that creates kind of this existence we all live in right now. Oh my gosh, I'm loving this even more than I thought I would. Okay, sorry. Jenna. I know. That's no, okay. Speaking of other people, uh, I'd love to know what people's reactions have been to all of this. And also, is there a community around this sort of lifestyle that you've created or tapped into? Yeah. So the first community is called the Quantified Self, and it's been around for a while. Uh, it predates me in my work by about four or five years. Uh, Kevin Kelly over at Wired and a bunch of people were kind of the, the pioneers of it. The biohacking community isn't as, again, think of it as a graduation step. The biohacking community isn't as organized, but there are chapters all over the world. So again, just looking at biohacking if you want to get into it. The problem I have with biohackers is they're a really snobby bunch of folks. So the quantified selfers, right, the people who track everything, the problem with them is it's so academic. Like, it's just like, I'm going to figure this out and like, I'm going to hoard my data. And like, they don't want to talk about it. They're very much in the closet with their data. You know, I always say, come out of your data closet. The biohackers, their problem is they're always these like perfectly fit white guys, very bro-ish, who, you know, can't quite become hipster, but quite can't fit into the gym. And somewhere in that estuary is this nightmare of a person who's going to take enough provigil to somehow stay erect long enough so that they don't have to then start taking the, you know, the, the, the Viagra supplements. It just, it's a nightmare 
and and they and they disguise themselves under this i'm extending my life and i always look at them and go for what you're lonely as fuck (laughs) (laughs) so it's all the tech bros i really think it is i mean personally because all the tech bros are really hard into the stuff now that being said if you're biohacking because you're diabetic you've got my respect but like if you're already working the 32 inch waist and 180 pounds and the 21 percent body fat and you're biohacking you're wasting my time and you're wasting yours because <laughs> like the one thing we all have to do is die and, and like you're, you don't have an out on that but that's when you get into the whole transhumanist community right. the other question you have was comments so yeah back when i wore a lot of gadgets and they were visible i used to get a lot of glances and, and looks but let's be honest everyone's wearing everything now i mean everyone's using all of this. i don't get much anymore the m- comment i get most often when i get off stage is jesus you're just like me and i'm like <laughs> yeah you know it's like that's kind of the idea Quickly, before we move off the biohacking, uh, the episode, it's not live as of this moment of recording, but the episode that will precede yours is our conversation with a biohacker, but not the fitness bro that you just described, (laughs) the other side, which is putting chips and magnets and a gentleman we spoke to is planning to put an entire Raspberry Pi in his leg, devices inside the body. A, do you have any? And B, what are your thoughts on that? So I know a lot of these folks. Uh, Sweden is full of people with chips and, and implants, and I know people have companies that do it. People ask me all the time, do I have chips and implants? And my answer is no, and I never will. Unless I have to, like medically necessary. That's a whole different thing. You know, to me, tech can be easy or it can be good. And I find a lot of this performative, uh, you know, grinding, and that's the grinder community that's an offshoot of the biohackers, you know, this, this kind of performative grinding where you put chips and things in you for all sorts of reasons that are anything other than medical. It's quaint, but it's performative. And, you know, again, I, I don't get it. And if you need a chip in your hand to unlock your door, you're lazy, not smart. <laughs> I'm also right? just concerned, and I asked this question, but like, you know, there's so much technology that malfunctions and you have to reset it and whatever, and what happens when it's in your body. But um, anyway, okay, so you don't have any any implants, but how do you decide when something new comes out? Like, how do you find out about new things? How do you decide which ones you want to incorporate in your life? Hmm. Well, I get offered a lot, but I don't usually take people up on it just because it's like, I don't know, you just, I don't, it's just a hassle. Um, you know, I hate to sound this way, but I, I have everything I really want. And anything else I don't have is such an invasive procedure. I would actually need to get sick. I would love full-time glucose monitoring. So I wouldn't have to check my own blood sugar. I'm not even diabetic, but I still check it because blood sugar really affects my mood. You know, halt, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. So, you know, I do check on blood sugar often, but to get a permanent monitor put in me, again, it, it feels performative, but I would love that. Um, I mean, if there's one tool I would love to have in my lifetime, it's like a portable functional MRI. Just the idea of being able to watch thoughts and in that whole process, uh, that's kind of sexy. BCI, you know, brain computer interface, possibly, but... Uh, I don't know. I'd be too afraid of what they'd pull out, not what would I put in. <laughs> but would yeah. that not require something to be inserted? Or, or am I thinking something else? No, no, you're, that's BCI. Yeah, you have to get something inserted. And, and again, it, it's successful. You know, people are doing BCI now, and you know, they've had lots of tests and things. 
I don't know. Again, I don't mind doing it to have something put in. You know, the whole Neo thing. I need to learn how to fly a helicopter. Like, that's kind of cute, but I'd rather have, like, okay, I need to not freak out about not paying my bills this month. Can I have that routine for a minute so I can actually have dinner mm-hmm. with my spouse? Because there are some people who will never meditate no matter what. It's like, okay, let's take a pill. But, uh, you know, again, I think at that point, functional MRIs or BCI, we have to really think about what we pull out. And part of me is excited because I would love to know we're all the same. We're all just as kinky and weird. That's what this podcast is about. We definitely are. <laughs> right? But like part of me would be really sad if I found out, okay, I'm the only one who makes jokes about dogs when I don't have toilet paper. That would be really depressing. <laughs> no, it's not just you. It's not just you. Yeah. I mean, I would never do it, but it's funny to say. Yeah. We, you would, it's, and if you would do it, <laughs> you know, you're not the only one. Let's be serious. Yeah. Uh, well, we so... hear you Two track girls. your dogs. Yeah. Do you track oh, yeah, your dogs? Good, good transition. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yes, I've had several sets of dogs over the past decade because unfortunately dogs don't live for now. There's a there's a trans life I can get behind dogs. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah, I have always tracked my dogs. So all of my dogs have always had GPS and behavior trackers on them. Um, even my cat has one. My cat's got a love affair only on Thursdays with a cat across the way. So that must be the one day that cat gets out. I watch her. I watch her go <laughs> whore herself out. Um, I'm like, get your life, Luna. Get your life. <laughs> Uh, and she does. I mean, it's pretty funny. I'll, if you want, I can send you a video of her getting her life. Life. Um, I do. Um, but yeah, so the other thing about dogs is, I mean, the trackers have gotten so good. When I first started using dog trackers, they were huge and they were bulky and the batteries die. But now my tracker says, you know, hey, Sonny's been licking himself a lot, you know? And it's like, oh God, how does a tracker know that? But they've gotten really good. And trackers can be linked to like home automation. So one of the earliest things I did was my dogs used to get up on the couch. I had a dog back in 2012 and he would jump up on the couch and we were trying to teach him to not do that to the couch. So what we did was we just used a motion sensor in combination with his collar. So if he got near the couch, the stereo would blare. So we had this kind of like, again, I called it, you know, the software exo behavioral exoskeleton for the dogs that was just like, okay, you got to do this. But now it's like, even if I leave the house with my dog or my husband leaves the house with the dog, I get a message that Fernando's having a nice walk with Sonny. Like, so it, it ties you and the, the animal together. Okay, this brought up an interesting point, though, for me in the sense that you were saying like, oh, let's you know your dog licks yourself, but, but like, yeah. licks itself too often. So, but like, is there anything actionable there? Because I'm sort of, but then meanwhile, the one about the couch is actionable. So I'm sort of curious, a lot of these trackers, how... How many are actionable you know, versus not? You know what I mean? Because sometimes I'm like, okay, cool. Like you. you could show me how many hours I sleep, but is that going to help me fix it? I'm with thing? you. Yeah. You know, we're still way from what I would call the habit store, which is like, okay, we all have phones and computers and some of us have things in our house. The fact that there's nothing I can go to and say, I need this habit that makes all of this shit actionable. That's ridiculous. Like we're way past that point. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I mean, there are some things like the lighting systems now can be actionable. They just released an update to my lighting system that allows me to do automatic sunset. Obviously, our computers are starting to do actions for us, like they'll tone down at night, the color, the gradient. Um, simple things like that, but nothing's... And I think on the iPhones, they're actionable. So you, there's an alarm on the iPhone you can set for sleep that'll tell you to go to bed. But there's nothing that forces you yet. We haven't crossed that big brother, big mother threshold, but I think we're damn close. But, you know, again, I, I think things are actionable. We just don't consider them actionable. Like how fast after we reach out to someone, do we keep checking? Did they, did they respond? Did oh, they my respond? God. 
It's the yeah. nightmare of my life. Um, so how do you handle data and privacy? Don't believe in it. So I believe in data. I don't believe in privacy. <laughs> so yeah, I'm a, I'm a pretty huge advocate for, for, for post-privacy. You know, again, I've growing up, my parents, you know, we were, my parent, my parents had a series of financial mishaps. We lived in our car for a week, right? Me, my mom and dad, brother, it was, it was a nightmare, right? And this is back in the eighties and my friends made fun of me, you know, the other thing about that whole financial time was like back then, if you couldn't afford school lunch, you got like a ticket, like this little coupon, you know? And then like, what's hard about that is like, if you're poor, you don't have any privacy. Like it, that word doesn't even exist. And for that matter, the word only showed up in the English language in the United States, you know, in the late 1800s. So it's not even a word we've used for very long. So to me, privacy is a real bullshit answer to a society that's tilted toward favoring some. Because the only people worried about the privacy are the middle class. The rich don't care about it and the poor don't have it. So, you know, I love the idea of privacy when I didn't really have a name for myself. But like, once you have a name for yourself, you, you almost, it almost pays you to be exploitive in a way that looks unabashedly unaware of privacy because you're, you're thriving off the authenticity of your behavior. But for most people, they have to hide what they do on social, on social media, but they have to hide certain things about their past, or they have to pay to get them removed from the internet. And that's not a function of privacy. That's a function of a system that is tilted toward a certain set of people. I hate. I, mean, I hope that's not too weird of me to think that, but it's bullshit. No, I think it's a really interesting perspective when most people are just like screaming about privacy. Well, what else are they going to scream about? They don't take time to understand their own data, so they're going to scream about the one thing they can scream about. <laughs> they're their parents. If they actually cared about privacy, they would actually care about the data, but they don't. Mm-hmm. They care about their data when they get sick, or they care about their data when when it can they can be weaponized a friend that you want to screenshot some conversation. But they don't care about what they type to see what type of asshole they're being most of the time. Mm-hmm. And don't tell me you care <laughs> when you walk around with your head in your ass. Yeah. <laughs> Fair. Uh, <laughs> I also think it's interesting because people are like giving it away so freely and then getting mad about it. And it's an interesting yeah. dynamic for sure. The other thing that's funny is so many people are like, I don't want Google to hear my conversations. I'm sort of like, who oh, gives Jesus. a fuck if Google hears my conversation? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. sort of annoying that now they just give me ads about sleeping. I'm like, please stop. But um, yeah. anyway, so uh, so many different so many different places we could go with this. I-, I have a question that takes us back to the beginning. You mentioned mm. that work doesn't care if you're I think the quote was a pile of trash as long as you're doing your job. Yeah. Um, uh, that was, was my pile, experience. Of, pile of shit. I'm so sorry to misquote very, you. Very pile of, pile of shit. Yes, yes. So, um, but there are obviously benefits for employers, right? Uh, you know, if they employee wellness programs mean that they spend less in health insurance costs and things like that. So um, are there different ways that you think businesses should be uh, facilitating employees tracking at least their health? Um, and I guess piggybacking off of that, are there ways that businesses could be getting through this current situation better if they were utilizing tracking more? Well, I mean, there's a lot of debate about that right now because a lot of these people who've been sent home to work, you know, businesses were hesitant because they had no way to monitor their employees. But, you know, I again, I maintain, and maybe I'm biased, that most people don't do much work at work anyway. 
we all wait till we have a moment and we come home and we catch up on the, you know, five minutes in line and we've got all the work done we needed to do all day. I worked in an office for the 90s. I mean, you walk around all day. You know, what are you doing? What are you doing? I'm having a meeting. I'm sending an email. I'm, I'm launching PowerPoint. It's like, what the fuck? 2008 had nothing to do with houses. It had everything to do with Microsoft Office, right? It just, mm-hmm. like, it, we literally have gotten ourselves to the point where we don't know what the fuck to do. I don't know anybody who does anything. Like they're all just kind of posing for a paycheck. I'm working and, way and, too hard. I got to go get a real job where I don't have to do anything and I get benefits. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're kind of there now, aren't we? We're all at home. They're about to give us free health care and $1,000. I hope so. Well, we'll see. Yeah, right. So, me too, right? Because I lost a bunch of... So I think the uh, employee wellness. So I, I believe in employee wellness only because I think if... Let's just take. Let's just pretend I could put full time heavy my level of surveillance on an entire company. What would I do with that? Like, well, let's just go there. Well, the first thing I'd do is I'd be okay. Is there anything we could do to make lives better? So, are people spending too much time commuting? Let's fix that. Are people spending too much time in meetings? Let's fix that. Are people coming in to work at times and, and wanting to leave at other times? Let's fix that. I go back to like nine to five from 1979, right? The first thing those three gals did when they, and they called themselves gals, I'm not being sexist. The first thing those three gals did when they got, they started creating all these type of work programs. Well, no, they weren't monitoring anybody. But I think if you're going to surveil your population, at least make their lives better. This is not about making people exercise more to reduce costs. It's making them not want to kill themselves by overworking. There's a real fine line between being healthy and, and encouraging someone to be optimized like a battery. And these programs are usually optimized around making sure employees sleep more, eat well, and all this other kind of stuff so you can save money on claims, right? There's, there, there's two, two models of it. There's the, the absenteeism and the, and the presenteeism. And, and the, you know, the one washes the other. So I, I'm not a fan, but I understand why they're important, but I think you could use them better. Again, transport, I mean, travel is one of the best things you could do with the community. And then just look at like, okay, what period of time do our employees spend in meetings? Just by monitoring people's calendars, not even what meeting they're in, just how often they're in meetings. You know, what period of time are people, you know, actually using the app? So how much time are our employees spending in email after hours? Shit, you can make a population happy by just shutting it off. So I'm pro kind of that type of surveillance, but... Again, the way that it gets rolled out now, and I've worked for some big, big companies that have done that sort of thing, and I've designed those programs, it's all about making people turn into little batteries to juice them more. So let's let's talk about disconnection. You mentioned the Buddhist retreat. Uh, you definitely mentioned you disconnected on your honeymoon, which is lovely. Hmm. What, do you, what do you think about turning off your phone, disconnecting? Is it a good idea? When and why or why not? <laughs> Yeah, I'm actually, again, I, my book is called Don't Unplug. So I'm actually <laughs> pro-connection, right? So I'm actually pro-connection. And it's not because I think there's some better living through chemistry or, or technology. It's more because I think at this point, if we're honest, you're basically punishing someone when you tell them to disconnect. Because like, you know, okay, so I have to figure out how to drive someplace. I can't use GPS. Okay, I have to actually, you know, all these kind of manual tasks. And also... In my experience, when I was disconnected, I won't even use the word successfully, I thought more about my technology when I didn't have it than when I had it and thought I was abusing it. So, you know, to me, I always tell folks, if you can disconnect, you probably have too much money Mm -hmm. because most people are required to be connected 
to just basically get basic shit done nowadays. And I think it's too hard if, again, if we're honest with ourselves to, to disconnect and not because it's psychological, it's just because you're too dependent on it. Now there's a lot of stunt guys, just a guy named Paul. I don't know if you've had him on your show, like five years, six years ago, he went off the internet for a year and, you know, there's all these stories now about the coronavirus, people who've been offline for two weeks and then come back. I call it Rip Van Winkle porn, right? It's like, uh-huh. okay, <laughs> what is this? But I, I just don't believe in it. And, and, I, and I just think too many people kind of fetishize, like, offline. Like, oh, look at me being all superior and human because I'm not using my phone. Fuck you! Right? <laughs> I, I don't care how how gloriously human you are because you're not looking at your phone paying attention to me. You literally are elevating yourself so you can get off on some mental masturbation that I'm broken because I'm having an anxiety attack having dinner with your lame ass. Right? <laughs> That's why I'm looking at my phone. Uh, Try to get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> right? I'm just, I'm so sick. And there's so many bros now, tech bros, who are going to yeah. save us because they have these newfangled ways of helping us pay more attention to the real world. Again, fuck you. I'm not putting the tobacco farmer in charge of the oncology clinic, right? That's <laughs> not going to happen. You had your back, you fucked up, right? Yeah. You made clickbait and, 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 and chasing my tail more important than finding out who I am. You yeah. lost. <laughs> wow. Okay, Sorry. so... I, no, 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 it's okay. We, we <laughs> love hearing Stop your perspective apologize. on this. Yeah. Yeah, I just... Well, I think we have one more question, um, also in light of the current circumstances. So how do you think the medical industry is keeping up with tech or not? And what do you think more doctors and hospitals should be incorporating? Those are genius, 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 good questions. Um, so Thanks. my doctor, my doctor, Dr. <laughs> Robert Beck, I've been with him since 2014. I found him on YouTube when I moved to Nashville. And why did I pick Dr. Beck? Was it his qualifications? Was it the ease of his appointment system? No, he was easy on the eyes. So I thought, <laughs> I, I thought if someone's going to stick a finger on my ass, he's going to look like this, right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's how I picked him. But we've been really close since then because my old doctor fired me. Because I would come in there and say, look at this. Like, I need this pill. Or look at this behavior. I need to look at this data. And he hated it. But uh, Dr. Beck was very pro-data. He was very pro-that. I mean, I literally will tweet, and he will tweet back to me because he follows me online and tell me to... He'll literally give me medical advice online. Like, you're literally stressing <laughs> out, right? So we have this... And then he'll, he'll send me medical advice as the unicorn on an iPhone because like, mm-hmm, he doesn't right. want to get in trouble with HIPAA. So he converts to a unicorn when he has to talk to me. So, wait, what? Wait, wait, what? What was that? I, I know, it's it. fucked up. I can't believe the I'm loopholes. talking about this out loud. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So you can be like an emoji in your text messages. Right, right. And he's, he's the oh, unicorn. Oh, oh, he's he has doing to that so that, okay, got it, got it. For medical So he doesn't advice. get in trouble. Yeah. But that being said, in the past three years, he now, when he sees patients, he sees their phones. So I worked with him after doing stuff, some stuff with Dartmouth to teach him to look at phones. So he now every patient he sees, he makes sure their do not disturb while driving is turned on. He makes sure their night shift mm. is turned on. And he looks at their um, uh, screen time app to see how they're spending their time. So w- your question was, what can doctors do? Doctors can get involved with our devices. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know why it's not part of every visit. Right. You shouldn't have to go to the genius bar and a doctor. Right. That's literally <laughs> the same visit. That's great. It's so simple. Mm-hmm. So, again, I think this epidemic and this this outbreak is really going to advance not only telemedicine, but probably biohacking and just kind of the off label use for pharmaceutical benefits, especially now that we have 
we didn't even talk about all the other camps, the people who are microdosing and all these other things, right? Uh, and, and all of these folks are who are starting to converge. Okay, hold on, hold on. Before we go, uh, should I start microdosing? Uh, I'm talking I about like I'm co- acid. <laughs> yeah, no, I know people, I know a bunch of people doing acid and um, shrooms. Um, I, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't feel comfortable telling you one way or another, but I will tell you this. You, I'll take it as a it, guess. <laughs> well, I was going to say, uh, the advice I gave my friend the other day when, when she asked me and someone I do know well, was I said, there's never a bad time to get out of your head. <laughs> All right. Well, Jen, I mean, I, we do have more questions, but I feel like I this is a good place to wrap it up. I think it's a good up. place to wrap it. Yep. Unfortunately so. Thank you so much for joining us. That was too much fun. No, I mean, I told a couple of people I was doing two girls and they went crazy. So uh, Really? It was, <laughs> it was new for you. How'd you like it? Oh, it no, no, come on. I'm over 50. So actually, it was not new for me because back uh, in the 80s, we, we, were, we, were, we were on the DL. We, we, we still mm-hmm. went there. We still, yeah. we still made it with girls. Well, we just, it's been, we just it's we been a while. It's been a while. It's been a while. So. Um, I, I would say having Matt here was a real help. Um, okay, I understand that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right. Well, you know, we're doing what we can. Uh, yes, you are, baby. Yes, you are. <laughs> that was fun. He's so fun. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the sort of stereotype that you think upon hearing about him is that he's going to be a fucking weirdo, but he was a fucking weirdo in the best of ways. You know what <laughs> totally, I mean? Totally, totally. Like, I want to hang with him and his husband and his dogs. Fuck the cat, though. I don't care about the cat. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't really realize it started with Google Calendar, and that is so freaking relatable. <laughs> like, I'm like, I can do that yeah. tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although, will I? <laughs> Probably Yeah, not. that's... Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. I, you know, interesting points about privacy, too. I've definitely yeah. thought about that, that it's, well, I mean, it's the it's the difference of owning your own data and knowing what to do with your data and not just giving it away for someone else to use. I mean, certainly data is being exploited in some ways, but but I guess it all starts with like data literacy, like if people understood it more, how they can use it and then mm-hmm. how they can potentially prevent companies. Anyway. He he touched on it, the weaponization yeah. of it, and the yeah. I get I I get on it when it's about like abusive abuse of the data of like hey here's Facebook uh you know get on it and use it and yeah we're getting a free service in exchange for the data and that's the deal we made except now these platforms have become the de facto communication platform and you can't keep in touch with your friends and family without it and it's not regulated and then the deal that you made with the devil becomes Facebook knows more about you than you know about yourself and it's serving you abusive ads and it's monetizing you in ways that you didn't that you did sign up for i think chris would say you signed up for that and shame on you but now we are stuck in the trap and no one is sa- the, our government's not saving us from it facebook's not changing its policy so that's where i that's where i get on the high horse and be like well we still need to fix the privacy problem but i take chris's point about a post privacy world or that like we didn't really give a shit about uh, privacy until we became we had a middle class and and i and i agree with him but i had i have no love for these social platforms for their business models at least right right right, right. I'm also just fascinated that a lot of his ideas and fixes for things are so simple, like the idea of integrating with Nextdoor or the idea of doctors just checking screens. <laughs> like, it's brilliantly simple. You know, it's, yeah. yeah. 
Anyway, I can't wait to see his video of his cat uh, going out for a booty call. I hope he sends it. (laughs) And we want to hear from you all. So as always, uh, please get in touch with us anytime you want. And we'd love to hear what you think about this episode. What Um, are you tracking? Exactly. Yeah. And what are you doing with that data once you have it? Um, You can tweet at me at Junebugger. I'm at Allie Gold. You can email us at 2G1podcast at gmail.com. And you can call us, uh, leave us a voicemail, and or text us at the same number. Please do. That number is 347-871-6548. That number again, 347-871-6 Last but not least, join us in our Discord server, discord.gg slash 2G1P. Uh, there's a lively group of folks there talking about the shows that we do and other topics, uh, but we would really love to see you there. So please come. You can only get the link here, discord.gg slash 2G1P. And Ali, if they would like to contribute uh, a few dollars to our show, how do they? So actually, a listener reached out that we were hard to find on Patreon. I don't know if yes. we were filtered out as porn, um, which not surprising. <laughs> but anyway, if you go to patreon.com slash 2G1P, I do think we have fixed that. So I hope some of you will sign up. Um, to be totally honest, especially in these times, gigs are being canceled left and right. So, uh, you know, even if you contribute as little as a dollar, it helps us. Uh, keep our lives going and there are perks at different tiers so we hope you'll check it out and we owe a video to some people (laughs) so sorry Uh, well we love you all we will see you next time and please do stay safe two girls one podcast is hosted by jennifer jamula and allison goldberg then stack ranked by the amount of burning man references and uploaded to a google calendar i mean produced and edited by matt silverman in new york city production assistance is provided by the pod conglomerate this show is a production of the daily dot the number one source for in-depth reporting about life on the internet The Podglomerate, a sonic universe. I've been working from home for years.